0: Imagine that there's a child that's got a disease that's gonna kill him in a few months, and there hasn't been any cure for that disease. And you know, we here in San Antonio, we have this wonderful medical center and they're doing a lot of research, and they have found a cure, but they haven't been able to find a way to put it in an injection or a pill. What the scientists have been able to do is put the cure in this raw egg. And if the child eats the raw egg in a smoothie or something, then they have an 80% chance of living. Pretty good, right? Now, what if I were to tell you this child's parents work in one of these shops or maybe one of the restaurants in this shopping strip? If I asked you to take this egg very carefully, don't drop it, to the parents and talk to them, try to talk them into giving it to their child raw because then they'll have an 80% chance of living, would you be willing to do that? most people probably give it a shot, right? Okay. I'm going to change the conditions and don't answer because I don't want you to embarrass yourself. I want you to be brutally honest. What if I said, you need to carefully take this egg, cross Bandera Road, walk 20 blocks, and there you'll find the parents and the child. Would you still do it? What if I said, okay, you've got to go to Mexico City. That's at least, that's a 16-hour drive with no stops. And this egg only lasts two days, and it can only be in certain temperatures. But I want you to go to Mexico City, find this family, be careful, there's a lot of crime there. Find this family, talk to them, get them to give their child this egg. Okay, so at what point does it become too much trouble where the child's life just isn't worth it because it's just too hard? Or were some of you, and you don't have to answer, thinking let somebody else do it, where, where you may be even thinking, I'm not going to be able to talk the family into it, and so the kid's going to die, it's going to be my fault, so it's better if somebody else better qualified does it. Of course nobody was thinking that. Okay. Well, here's the deal. God has the cure for every disease, every heartbreak, every problem. And he, I guess he could have decided to put it in pills, and you go to church, you get your pill, and you're all better. But for some reason, he decided to use us. us. We're the eggs to carry the cure. And so I want to watch watch a video that shows how God invites us on this journey um, without us needing to be qualified first. We talked last week about the road to beautiful, how we're all on a journey to becoming a beautiful person that's part of a beautiful world. And the point isn't just for us to get to heaven. It's part of becoming something together. There's um, verses that talk about us becoming a beautiful tapestry that's being woven together. There's verses that talk about us being bricks or stones that are being built into a building. And in this video, you're going to see people who were each saved from something, and all of the glory for that goes to God. But I want you to keep in the back of your mind that for every person you see up there, there was at least one other human being who was involved in delivering the answer. Lord, we're amazed by your power to turn around even the most desperate situations. And Lord, we're amazed by your love and how you see each person as your precious child, no matter how much trouble they're in. And your heart longs to pull them to a brighter place. And Lord, we we can't comprehend why you would use us I ask that you would um, take away any feelings of inadequacy or shame that would keep us from fully being able to receive the invitation to join you on this great adventure. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We ask for ears to hear it and eyes to see it and courage to speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that's one of the most amazing things to me is that God insists on using us as the delivery vehicles for miracles like what you saw there. I want to talk about um, symbols for Christianity. I was telling David if I could have come up with a playlist for today, it wouldn't have been any better than the songs you guys chose. You even had one about the cross. It makes sense for the cross to be the symbol for Christianity because that's where Jesus displayed his great love for us, you know, where he signed his will in blood, if you will. But one of the things that I appreciate about being raised Catholic was that I grew up surrounded not by crosses, but by the crucifix, which is the cross with the body of Christ still on it. And. I agree that the cross is empty now, for those who say, well, you know, the cross is empty. And I agree, but sometimes I think we've sanitized the crucifixion so much that we're comfortable with it. And if there's something you should never be comfortable with, it's what Christ went through for us. And there's there's something I like better. There's another symbol that I prefer when I think about Christianity, and that's the empty tomb. Because, see, Jesus didn't just die. He defeated death for us. And he didn't do that just so we'd get a ticket to heaven or have a nice little comfortable life here on earth. The great exchange that we've been talking about is about power. And that's where we should live, in that place of power that's represented by the empty tomb. Here's how Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That resurrection power, that's the same power that's accessible to us. That wasn't just a one-time big flash. You know. Last week we talked about the great exchange, You know, Jesus' life for ours, Jesus' death for ours. We talked about the things we were willing to let go of and a little bit about the things he gives us in return. I want to do just a tiny little bit of a review. If you have accepted that deal, then you have declared yourself dead. Dead people have no property. Dead people have no rights. And they don't expect to be comfortable. I want to introduce you to someone who understood this. She was a missionary to Iraq, and she died there along with three other missionaries. This is Karen Watson. She wrote a letter before she left on her missionary trip in 2003, and she was killed almost exactly a year later. And the letter said, it was to her pastors, it said, Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible. My heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective to suffer what's expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. After she died, someone wrote a song with that title. She goes on and says, one of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I am writing this as if I am still working with my people group. I thank you all so much for your prayers and support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. Keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young pastors. In regards to any service, I figure she's talking about her funeral service, keep it small and simple. Yes, simply just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel. Give glory and honor to our Father. And then she said something about the missionary heart. She said, care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too in my church family. In his care, Salam, Karen. See, this was a person who lived with open hands, not just as far as her belongings, but her very life. And if this is starting to feel a little overwhelming, relax. God's not necessarily calling you to go die in Iraq. He's calling each one of us to the next step on our own journey. In fact, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. defined faith as taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. So allow this time to be about discovering God's blessings instead of going to that place of being overwhelmed by all these things I need to do, your Christian to-do list. Also remember that dead people have no debts. Nobody has any power over them in the court system, and it's like that in the kingdom. There's no power over us except Jesus, and he shares that power with us. Ephesians 1, 17 through 21. This is from the message version. I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, endless energy, boundless strength. And all this energy issues in Christ. God raised him from, the de- from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. The Amplified Bible says God put Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. There isn't anything he doesn't have authority over and that he doesn't share with us. And it's good to know what we have inherited with Christ. I've taken some excerpts from the first chapter of the first, first Peter, again from the message version. What a God we have. How fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts Now. God is keeping careful watch over us in the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. So roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, A life energetic and blazing with holiness. Your life is a journey. You must travel with deep consciousness of God. It cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Your new life is not like your old life. Your old birth came from mortal sperm. Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think. A life conceived by God himself. Have you thought about what kind of life God has in mind for us? If Jesus is supposed to be living in us, if it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me, then we have the same job description, right? To preach the good news to the poor, to announce release to the captives, to give recovery of sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. The kingdom of heaven isn't just after we die, it's now. So we're in that time where the free favors of God profusely abound. you believe that? you believe we can do those things, recovery of sight to the blind and all that? I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, if anyone steadfastly believes in me, he will himself be able to do the things that I do, And he will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. And we know where the Father put Jesus when he went to him, right, in charge of everything? James 2, verse 5 out of the Amplified. Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and in their position as believers? We have a position as heirs. It's like a title. It's not just a place to be their position as believers to inherit the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. So we are in the process of inheriting the kingdom. That ought to excite you. And doesn't that make you want to know what it means? There's a story about newspaper magnate um, William Randolph Hearst. He was one of the wealthiest men of his time, and he spent a large fortune collecting art treasures from around the world. And one day, he found a description of some valuable paintings, and he just had to have them. So he gets his agent to go out, travel around different countries. He has to find these paintings and buy them for him, right? So the guy's gone for months. He comes back, and he says he found them in one of Mr. Harr's own warehouses. He already had it. Had he known his treasures, he wouldn't have had to search for them. Well, The Bible teaches us about our riches in Christ. That's one good reason to study it. If we know them, we don't have to long for them. But even if you know what you have, you need to use it, right? There's a story about an old woman who lived in the hills of Tennessee, and she went through a great deal of trouble to get electricity brought out to her house. I remember that. She went through a great deal of trouble to make this happen. And after a few months, the power company realized that she's not using very much, so they sent a meter reader out there to make sure everything's okay, and the meter's fine. So he asked the old woman, don't you ever use electricity? Oh, yes, she replied. I turn it on every evening to see how to light my kerosene lamps. And then she turned it off and she used her little lamps. Yeah. When we feel like we're living in the dark, it's probably because there's still a lot for us to discover about God's power and how to use it. You know, it is a new kingdom to us. But this is good news. It means the power's there. We just need to learn how to use it. Let me tell you about someone else. This is Marty Johnson. And his family. He's a typical American guy, you know. He's got a house and a minivan and a job, and you know, two kids. But he didn't start off typical. He started off as a baby who was born in, um, born in a Catholic home for unwed mothers who were giving their babies up for adoption. And he spent the first four years of his life in an orphanage. And then one day a family showed up to adopt him, and he got a new mom and a dad and a sister. Do you have the next? There, you there they are. And that was fine with him. You know, he didn't think a whole lot about finding his birth family as he grew up. He, he told himself, be happy with what you have. And that's until he had kids. And then he realized his kids deserved to know where they came from. But before he could do anything about that, this letter came from the adoption agency. And it said, your, your birth mother would like to get in contact with you. Is that okay with you? So anyway, they, they get in contact by phone and his birth mom tells him about how she met his birth dad in college. They were both in college. He was a visiting student from Nigeria. And when, he, when they found out she was pregnant, he offered to marry her, but she wasn't ready for marriage yet. So that's why Marty was put up for adoption and then father went back to Nigeria. So he digs around online and he gets in touch with his birth father's family. Um, and he gets a letter from his uncle who wishes Marty blessings and explains that, yes, Marty's father, his name's John Ogike, was alive and well in Nigeria. And there's something else in the letter. It says, welcome to the Ogike dynasty. Okay. Not long after that, he gets a letter from another relative that says, you come from a noble and prestigious family. Noble and prestigious family? Ogike dynasty? Marty figures those must be like African figures of speech, something lost in translation it turns out his father, John Ogike, was the son of an educator who founded a school. And then this John Ogike also went on to get into education. He taught at different universities. And Marty's told that now he's retired. He's still alive. He's retired. He married and had six children. So he's got six brothers and sisters he hasn't met. And he also finds out that his father's the chief of an African village called Abo. In fact, in Abo he's not called chief. He's called Ude Eke a word that means the renown of the creator, the creator's celebrity, the creator's famous person. In his tiny corner of the world, Marty's father was the boss. Okay, now remember, who's your daddy? But what this means still doesn't hit Marty until he travels to see his sister who's visiting from Africa. She's visiting relatives in California. And she tells him, okay, you understand where we're from. Because of our father's position, you're considered a prince. And the words just kind of hang there, and he says, wait, say that again, you're a prince. So word gets around, and Marty's friends start bowing whenever he comes in the room, and he's telling them, no, 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 you know, there's no crown or palace waiting for me. It's just a title, you know. But it's funny what happens when you discover who you really are. People who knew Marty began to notice small changes. He became a junkie for news about Africa. He was always watching CNN and reading the international page in the paper. And he started wearing African caftans, presents from his new relatives. This was a man who'd never met a sweatshirt he didn't like, and now he was wearing a kaftan because he discovered his identity. Anyway, his family gets the money together to send him to Africa to meet his relatives, and a reporter goes along with him from GQ magazine, wrote this wonderful story. That's parts of what I'm reading to you. And he describes how one day Marty was just doing regular American working dad things, and then... Here, now the next day, here he is, dressed in his light blue shorts and DGI Friday's t-shirt, deep inside a country he recently had trouble finding on a map. On his way to a place he never dreamed he'd visit, for a reason he still can't quite comprehend. Which, to me, sounds a little bit like the Christian life. We're in this kingdom that we barely can find, and we're here for a reason we can't quite understand. So anyway, they get to the village, and the people are all waiting, and they start following the cab. The children start running after the cab, yelling, Obiala, Obiala, that means he has come. So he meets his dad, and everybody starts coming by to see him like he's some sort of celebrity. There he is with his family. And he said, I didn't realize how many people were waiting to see me. I want to tell you, you have no idea how many people are waiting to see each of you because of the gift you carry inside you. Marty was unsure how to handle the attention. Back in Minnesota, he waited in line at Home Depot like everyone else. But in the village, life moves in accordance to his needs. Now, this is a place that understands authority. When Marty naps, everyone in the house naps. His family won't eat until he wants to eat. And the babies of the family won't even come to the table until he calls them over. That's authority. And remember, he's not even the chief. He's just the son of the chief. They travel to an adjoining village, that's where his grandmother's family's from, and the people are gathered there to meet him. And one of his cousins stands up to recognize him and says, you are home, you are in your home, we are sharing everything with you. We have enough empty land. And so he asks his father, what's he saying? Well, if you want to build a house or a factory, you have land for free here, Ude Eke says, anything you want to do, you are entitled. And he's saying this to a guy who's been living paycheck to paycheck back home. One by one his relatives step forward and pay their respects, and then his father says, This is your naming ceremony. According to tradition, he will now receive his African name. I decided I would give you your name here, Ude Eke says. Martin Johnson Okike Chinenye. The crowd erupts, Chinenye. They translate, God gives. God gives. The people who knew who he was saw him as a gift. And that's what you are. You're a gift that carries God to people. I like that egg. Do you know who you are, or do you still think you're that person you declared dead years ago? Does this make you want to know everything about your kingdom? In a good kingdom, subjects have everything they need, but they realize that they don't own anything. It all belongs to the king, and that's okay with them because they have everything they need. But in God's kingdom, we aren't just subjects. We're heirs like Marty. With the king's heirs with the king's authority. Is that hard for anybody else to grasp? One of the things that helps is getting to know your kingdom relatives. They can help you figure out how to exercise that authority, especially in the way you talk and the way you pray. As far as people waiting for that gift that you carry, let me give you two quick examples. This is Bob Geldof. British rock musician, and one evening in 1984, he was going about his life, and he was watching a news um, broadcast about the famine in Ethiopia that was threatening millions with starvation. And that same night, probably there were a lot of religious people that watched the same broadcast and stayed on their couch. But he did something about it. He decided to get a few of his musician friends together, record a song, and give them money to charity. You ever heard of Live Aid? And that became a series of concerts. They ended up raising a hundred million dollars for famine relief, and some of that actually was distributed through Christian organizations. He had no idea that his efforts would raise that much money. His goal was only one tenth of one percent of that amount. I got the calculator out, that's a hundred thousand dollars. He wanted to raise a hundred thousand dollars, they raised a hundred million. And that, you can imagine how many people that made a difference to. And I can hear you thinking, well that's easy for him, I'm not a rock star, okay? Once again, it's not about you, it's about who's living inside you. Here's my second example. This is Hannah. She's eight years old. And when she was six, she went to a homeless shelter with her mom to volunteer there. And as they walked in, she saw a man who had shoes that were all torn up, they had holes in them, and he had no socks. And they live in a part of the country that's pretty cold. So she said to her mom, Well, he can have my socks. Of course, that wouldn't have worked. So they did what they were there to do, and then they came back the next day, Hannah and her mom, with 100 pairs of socks. And then they started collecting socks. So in two years, they distributed 100,000 pairs of socks. And if you've never lived somewhere that's cold and wet, you don't know how important it is to have a clean, dry pair of socks. See, it's, it's, she's like eight years old. They started a charity. If you want to look it up online, it's hannasox.org. It's not about you who are qualified or how unqualified you are. It's about embracing your part of the adventure. See, God's on this road to beautiful with us. It's about getting out of His way so He can do something. And this is called interdependence. Here's the stages that children go through, and it's the same for us in the kingdom. There's dependence. You do it for me. I'm hungry. Independence. I do it myself. And interdependence, we do it together. And the way we do it together is that God shapes us into someone who can carry His light and carry His authority. Look at what He says. This is from Romans 8, verses 29 through 30. I'm I'm gonna, well, I'll just I'm gonna read a little more. That's once on the screen. God knew he, what He was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he calls us by name, he sets us on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting us established, he stays with us to the end, gloriously completing what he began. Romans 11.29 says, God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty, never canceled, never rescinded. Other translations say irrevocable. Philippians 1.6, and I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. So God has this beautiful destiny in mind for us. And he's not going to change his mind, no matter whether we cooperate or not, no matter what comes our way. He's going to continue to work that out as long as we live. And our part's to get excited about that and cooperate. It's not about creating a list of things we have to do to become what God has in mind. He's the one that does the changing. We yield to him, and he changes us. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different one, quite a different house from the one you had in mind. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he's building up a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So just like when you see renovation going on, you see signs of it. I mean, if your neighbor has some construction work going on or roofing work, you're going to see signs of it. There are signs for us, too, that we're on the journey. For example, when it comes to how we deal with money, which is what we've been studying the last couple months, We know we're in kingdom country when certain things begin to happen. We quit giving in to the spirit of mammon, which is all about what do I need and what can I get and what are they trying to get from me. We have simple faith in God that he's going to provide for our needs because he's a good king and we're his heirs. We start seeing the first 10% of our income is already being spoken for to support the work of our church. We call that the tithe. We see ourselves as accountable to God for what we do with his money And it's all his money. It's not 10% his money. It's all his money. We figure out how much stuff and money we really need and let God decide what to do with anything extra he sends our way. We call that close in the circle. We get out of debt or we avoid getting into it in the first place. And then we start seeing that money comes through our hands and goes into places where good stuff multiplies. We start living like a big multiplication sign. Wherever we go, things get better. And see, these are just signposts that tell us, yes, we're on that road. Don't make them into something I have to do in order to please God. Kingdom people understand their identity and their authority, and they make good things happen. It's just that simple. So instead of looking at this as goals or responsibilities, think about the words as we go from glory to glory. So it may look this way from our side, but from God's side of the window, this is how this progress looks. It's his glory bursting through. When you get out of debt, it's his glory coming through. When you're able to tithe, it's his glory coming through. That's how he sees it. Not as some list that he's checking off. Okay, did she do it today? And that's what it's like when you bring Jesus to people. You know, we talk about people coming to Jesus. You know, 100 people came to Jesus that day. Well, when you walk into a place, you are the carrier of the gift. Like the egg carrying the cure, you're carrying Jesus. Jesus. But you need to let him do his thing. It's not just enough that he's inside, inside you, right? Before World War II, there was a school fire in a small town in Texas, and it took the lives of 263 children, which I can't even imagine. But after the war, they built a new school, and as you might imagine, it featured the finest sprinkler system in the world, the most advanced. They were so proud of it, they had honor students give guided tours of the school to show people The best sprinkler system money can buy. Never again would they have such a tragedy. Well, seven years later, when they were adding a new wing to the school, they found that the fabulous sprinkler system had never been connected to the main water source. So if there had been a fire, it wouldn't have worked. Think about it. As believers, we have all these wonderful blessings, access to all this authority. But do we know what it is? Are we hooked up to who we really are in Christ? Ephesians 3 says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. That's how he changes us, and that's how we bring him to people. That's how all those transformations in that first video happened. Somebody allowed themselves to be used by God to touch other lives and then somebody else received it. I would like to pray for you guys. And what I'm going to pray is Paul's prayer for spiritual growth out of Ephesians 3:14 through 21. Is that okay? Yeah. Is that right? I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I hope that gives you a perspective of who you are and the road you're on. I'm going to play one more video. Um, you're free to leave whenever you want. I encourage you to find someone to pray with though um, so that what you've experienced this morning follows you home. And if you want that, you can come to the front and someone will meet you and pray with you. Thanks for listening.